Good evening. Columbia Alexa, black woman vice president for the first time in the South American nation's history. Russia says a U.S. basketball player arrested for pot is a criminal, as are two U.S. mercenaries captured in Ukraine. And the meaning of Chesa Boudin's recall in San Francisco on Juneteenth, we talk about what the economic changes that are uh, hitting America means for the poor and for first-time homeowners and small businesses. With these and other stories, I'm Paul DiRienzo with the WBAI News for June 20th, 2022. Gustavo Petro, the former mayor of Bogota and former guerrilla fighter for a revolutionary group called the M19 Guerrilla Army, celebrated with his supporters in the capital on Sunday after being elected the first left-wing president of Colombia. The 62-year-old received 50.9% of the vote, narrowly beating right-wing rival Rodolfo Hernandez in the runoff by just over 700,000 votes. Petro was introduced by his vice president, Francia Marquez, the first African-descended vice president in Colombia's history. She introduced new president at the victory rally. Soy la primera mujer afrodescendiente de Colombia. Soy su vicepresidenta. Y quiero presentarles a su presidente, Gustavo Petro. Partial translation, Marquez says, I'm the first Afro-descended woman of Colombia. I'm your vice president, and I want to present to you your president. Me llamo Gustavo Petro, y soy su presidente. Una América Latina productiva y no extractivista. Una América Latina que profundice el conocimiento hasta las máximas esferas del saber de la humanidad. Partial translation, my name is Gustavo Petro and I am your president. We want a productive, non-extractionist Latin America, a Latin America that deepens knowledge to the highest spheres of human knowledge, a Latin America that, thanks to black and indigenous roots, can propose to the world a true rebalance with nature. The time has come for change. On the agenda for the new leader will be the country's faltering peace process with the leftist rebels of the Revolutionary Armed Forces of Colombia, known as the FARC, which was signed in 2016 and formally ended five decades of civil war that killed more than 260,000 and displaced over 7 million. The newly elected president will take office on August 7th for a four-year term. And Russia has demanded that Lithuania immediately reverse new restrictions on shipments of Russian goods that are subject to European Union sanctions. Kaliningrad is a Russian enclave on the Baltic Sea that's not connected to mainland Russia and is supplied by roads that go through the nation of Lithuania, which was once part of the former Soviet Union. The Kremlin called the Lithuanian move unprecedented and illegal, while the Russian foreign ministry said the restriction was openly hostile and suggested Moscow would take actions to protect its national interests. Western governments warned Moscow of fierce sanctions and other backlash if Russian troops amassed for months near the Ukrainian border tried the same thing at Lithuania. And three people were injured and seven more are missing after Ukraine forces fired on Black Sea drilling platforms off the coast of Crimea. A Crimean governor, Sergei Aksionov, said on his Telegram account, unfortunately, we can confirm that there are three injured and several missing. We guarantee the search will continue. And Russian troops have entered the industrial part of the heavily besieged city of Severodonetsk. 
The Azot chemical plant is the only part of the area not yet taken by Russian troops. Writing on uh, Telegram, a Ukrainian official said the villages are under constant fire with over 300 civilians sheltering at the Azov plant. But he said those numbers seem to change by the moment. The Kremlin, meanwhile, says it has two Americans that were, pardon me, the Kremlin says that two Americans captured in Ukraine were mercenaries engaged in illegal activities that should take and should take responsibility for their crimes. Kremlin spokesperson Dmitry Peskov was also quoted as saying that the detained men were not covered by the Geneva Conventions as they were not regular troops. They had shot at Russian servicemen and put their lives in danger. They were involved in firing and shelling our military personnel. They were endangering their life. And they should be responsible. They should be held responsible for those crimes that they have committed. Those crimes have to be investigated. So they have committed crimes. They are not a Ukrainian army. They are not a subject to Geneva Convention. In a related story, American basketball player Brittany Greener, who has been detained in Russia, faces criminal prosecution. Russia's state RIA, RIA news agency has cited the Kremlin spokesperson as saying that, uh, or he told MSNBC, that Grinner broke the law when she was caught at the airport with a small amount of cannabis resin. It is also a terrible message to bring some forbidden essences and uh, materials to this country while trying to be to build some bridges. And it is prosecuted by Russian laws. And Russia is not a single country in the world that have quite a strict laws in that sense. There's a number of countries where you cannot enter with any any drugs actually it is prosecuted by law so we can do nothing about that the u.s government is now approaching this as a hostage situation i would strongly disagree with that we cannot call her hostage why should we call her hostage she violated russian law and now she's being prosecuted it's not about being a hostage and that was Kremlin spokesperson Dmitry Peskov. Grinner, who played for a Russian uh, for a Russian professional basketball team, could face up to 10 years in prison if convicted on illegal drug charges. In related news, a former employee of the United States Embassy in Moscow, a U.S. citizen named Mark Fogel, has been handed a 14-year prison term in Russia for illegal drug trafficking after he was caught entering the country with medical marijuana he says was prescribed to him after back surgery. According to the court statement, Fogel, who was detained in August last year upon his arrival with his wife in Moscow from New York, pleaded guilty. Russian authorities had found 17 grams of marijuana in his possession. And in related news, the Netherlands has said it would activate the early warning phase of an energy, energy crisis plan and lifted a cap on production by coal-fired power plants as it seeks to reduce reliance on Russian gas in the wake of the war in Ukraine. The Ukraine conflict has pushed several European countries to seek alternatives to Russian oil and gas. The Netherlands, which imported as much as 15 percent of its gas from Russia, is already buying liquid national gas, which is known as LNG, and cutting back gas consumption, but will may but still may face a shortage this winter. Denmark's energy agency has said it has activated the, fir uh, the first. Meanwhile, in related news and more news of the similar vein, Denmark's energy agency has said it has activated its first step of a three-stage emergency gas supply plan, effectively meeting a tighter monitoring of the market to prepare for possible disruptions of natural gas from Russia.
And here in the United States, last week, U.S. Senators Patty Murray, chair of the Senate Health, Education, Labor and Pensions Committee, and Elizabeth Warren, Democrat of Massachusetts, led a press conference reiterating their call to President Biden to immediately issue an executive order to defend Americans' reproductive rights, including their right to an abortion. Warren said, this is a five-alarm fire, and Congress and the president don't have a second to waste in this moment of crisis. I'm working on the effort with Senator Murray, supported by more than 20 other Democratic senators, urging the president to issue an executive order to defend our abortion rights. There are multiple ways that the president can act on his own. He can improve access to medication abortion. He can get a reproductive freedom ombudsman at HHS. He can enforce the free choice of provider requirements that are already in the law for Medicaid beneficiaries, and that would mean Planned Parenthood would be funded everywhere. He can clarify protection in the current law for sensitive health and location data, especially given the risks that are posed by these data location selling outfits. The federal government is an employer. It can offer child care and travel vouchers to low-income people who need to travel out of state and take off time to get abortion care. And the Department of Justice can explore the possibility of providing abortion services on federal lands. There is no time to waste. And that was Senator Massachusetts Democrat Elizabeth Warren. Warren's Health and Location Protection Act, co-sponsored by a slate of Democratic senators, including Senators Bernie Sanders and Ron Wyden, would bar data brokers from selling or transferring location data and health data. There are a few limitations, making the bill one of the most strident proposals aimed at regulating data sales. If approved, the bill would empower the Federal Trade Commission, state attorneys general, and people hurt by an unlawful data sale to sue brokers found to have violated the law. The FTC would also receive an addition $1 billion over the next decade to aid in enforcing the law. And in more national news, today is a federal holiday commemorating Juneteenth, which was yesterday, the emancipation, commemorating that day, commemorates the emancipation of enslaved African-Americans. Juneteenth marks the anniversary of the announcement of General Order Number no. 3 by Union Army General Gordon Granger on June 19, 1865, proclaiming freedom for enslaved people in Texas. It was two and a half years after the uh, signing of the uh, Emancipation Proclamation, which uh, freed slaves and most of the rest of the United States. The day was first recognized as a federal holiday in June 2021 when President Joe Biden signed the Juneteenth National Independence Day Act into law. Here in New York, the CEO of the Carver Bank, a community development financial institution located on 125th Street in Harlem, is Michael Pugh. He spoke to WBAI about the effects the recent hikes in the federal prime interest rates would have on first-time home buyers and small businesses, especially in poor communities. question that the Fed is taking some aggressive efforts that must be done in some form or fashion to address the imminent possibility inflation continuing to rise. And we know that there are things like supply chain demand, of course, workforce shortage, and the rising cost of being able to pay for talent and resources, the rising cost of paying for supplies. We can't forget about fuel and the rising expenses there. These are all factors that are impacting communities. 
I think over the coming months and certainly as we look into the rest of this year, the issue that we all have to continue to remain to be focused on is the wealth gap issue in our nation. We know that from some previous studies that if we address the wealth gap in our nation, we can systemically improve the overall GDP on a per capita basis, a dramatic improvement. But the wealth gap is going to be exacerbated, especially in black and brown communities, because those are usually the communities that are starting from a lower economic standpoint in terms of resources available for them to withstand the shock factor of rising interest rates. And I would also add that small businesses, we know statistically that many small businesses use their own personal credit cards to finance much of the business expenses that are needed. It's going to be important for us to continue to pay attention to how we as a nation support small businesses. They are the lifeline to innovation and health of, of our nation. And they should not, they can't continue to be in a position where rising interest rates will dramatically impact their ability to keep their doors open. Credit card rates are almost usurious. It's cheaper than being broke. (laughs) Well, well said. I think that's, you know, exactly right. But, you know, I would say there are a number of programs that are out there today. We're really trying to make sure that as a community development financial institution, we educate small businesses around some of the state and federal programs that are being made available to help them get low-cost access to capital. But again, it's a real issue that we're going to have to keep our eyes on, Paul. Right. Michael Pugh is the CEO of the Carver Bank, a community development financial institution located on 125th Street in Harlem. And this morning, 15 Amazon Flex drivers in New Jersey walked off the job in response to Amazon cutting wages from $38 to $34 for two-hour delivery blocks. The wage cut comes as gas prices continue to rise across the country with prices surpassing $5 a gallon in New Jersey. Lorena, an Amazon Flex driver who walked off the job today, says, quote, Amazon forces us to drive longer distances to make deliveries as they cut our pay and gas prices have gone up. We can't survive like this. We demand Amazon raise our pay and treat us with respect and dignity. In addition to demanding better pay, Amazon Flex workers are demanding at least a $5 tip per delivery, double pay for deliveries over 18 miles away, and an end to punitive measures for traffic delays outside workers' control. And on June 7th, progressive San Francisco District Attorney Chesa Boudin was recalled in a special election with a low voter turnout. His opponents flush with cash from erstwhile liberal funders opposed to Boudin's plans to change the way district attorneys approach crime fighting in major American cities. And you see this developing around the country. Uh, Boudin had uh, was a great believer in restorative justice, a way of uh, not punishing people, but trying to find justice short of actually putting people in prison and just punishing people for the sake of punishing them. That seemed to be a bit much for the liberal establishment of the city of San Francisco. Earlier today, I spoke with Stanley Cohen, an attorney based here in New York, who's written an article about Chase Boutin's loss in uh, in uh, Counterpunch magazine, or it's online, Counterpunch, uh, it's called Chase Boudin, de- uh, pardon me, it's called Chase Boudin did not lose, we did. San Francisco is one of those communities, like not so atypical for many other large or good number of other large urban areas in the United States. 
that is, as, as long as there is a certain privilege that attaches to skin tone, that attaches to presence, that provides comfort and permits for the illusion of confrontation and debate and disagreement, it's all fine, it's all progressive, it's all enlightened. But when it comes to confronting systemic hate, systemic anger, systemic racism, systemic inequality in the criminal justice system, it becomes problematic. So I was not particularly surprised at all, especially given the amount of money that police unions, politicians, self-progressed liberal Democrats poured into his opposition. Tell us a little about Chase Boudin. Who is he? What's his history? She's a young prosecutor who was a public defender who comes from a very long line of serious revolutionaries in his family. His grandfather was a legendary civil and human rights litigator. He represented some of the most controversial figures of his day. He represented the Cuban government. He represented Iran. He challenged HUAC. He was Daniel Ellsberg's lawyer. He was father of Kathy, Chase's mother, who was uh, one of the founders of the Weather Underground was involved in the Vincent Amos Brigade, who was involved in an inadvertent explosion that killed three members of the Weather Underground in the West Village, was subsequently involved with the BLA, was one of the founders of the Weather Underground, uh, was arrested following a failed bank robbery that resulted in the death of two police officers and a security guard in Nyack, New York. She was sentenced to over 20 years in prison, during which time she evolved in both her politics and her view, and she became one of the country's leading advocates for reformation, for restorative justice, a powerful academic intellectual and force for women, people in prison, and changing the fundamental system. So Chase comes from a long line of revolutionary figures who embrace a wide, diverse range of confronting systemic racism and hatred and inequality. Wasn't his father also? Yeah, his father is David Gilbert, who was also arrested with Kathy. He did about 25 years in jail for the same robbery and was also involved in the Weather Underground. And he was adopted by Bernadette Dorn and her partner, who were also founders of the Weather Underground themselves, were targeted and wanted by the FBI for a number of years. He comes from a long line of revolutionaries, of fighters, freedom fighters. How was he raised? I mean, you mentioned in your article uh, what it was like to go every weekend to see your parents in the same jail, but you have to see them separately on different visiting days. He spent his own 20-year sentence visiting mom, visiting dad, going with his adopted parents themselves who were revolutionaries. Not being able to spend any time with his two parents at the same time and place until after they were both released. And keep in mind, as a young white man, a young white boy who evolved into an adolescent and a teen and an adult who came from a progressive family, he, there were certain benefits of his race and his education and his background. Spending 20 years in prisons filled with people of color, with the poor, with indigenous communities is a learning experience that sculpts one's future and one's politics and determines to some degree where you're going. And in his case, it led him to great schools, Yale Law School, public defender's office, and eventually the DA's office. To start from those roots and to wind up in a district attorney's office, even as a progressive who wants to change it, and then being driven out because you're too leftist by liberal Democrats who obviously don't want his history to be dragged out by the Republicans in the coming election. He got beat up for policies that had nothing to do with being a district attorney. He was victimized by two years of COVID, by the economic distress, by the displacement, by homelessness. You know, it's not up to district attorneys to prosecute in prison and jail the homeless. 
It's not up to prosecutors to engage in preventive detention. It's not up to prosecutors to isolate people, to take them off the streets and to, quote unquote, make communities safer. It's up to prosecutors, if you're going to talk about fundamental change within society, to take enlightened approaches. And traditionally, progressive, quote unquote, Democrats, they talk big, but when it comes down to being willing to pay the price, to sacrifice, to stand up to it, they tend to cut and run, and that's what happens with Chaser. And that's Stanley Cohen. He's the author of Chaser Boutine, Did Not Lose, We Did. You can read it at counterpunch.org. And finally, the fourth public house January 6th committee meeting hearing is expected to resume tomorrow at 1 p.m. WBAI will be carrying the Pacifica radio national broadcast of the hearing. The focus will be on how the former president and his allies vigorously pressured officials in key battleground states with schemes to reject ballots or entire state tallies to upend the results of the 2020 presidential election. Linda Perry reports. The House Select Committee looking into the January 6th attack on the Capitol on Tuesday will focus on the false elector scheme and the pressure campaign to overturn the 2020 election. The committee is alleging that Donald Trump knew there was no widespread fraud, that numbers weren't there to overturn the election, that even though it became increasingly clear that the pressure campaign would lead to violence, Trump continued with schemes to get state officials to withhold or change certifications. Witnesses, according to select committee aides, will show how Trump allies sent fake certificates claiming Trump won states that were actually won by Biden and that evidence will show that Trump himself was involved in the scheme. Witnesses include Arizona House Speaker Rusty Bowers, who's expected to talk about how he and his state were pressured. Another witness, Brad Raffensperger, is Georgia Secretary of State. He is expected to affirm that the election in his state was conducted fairly and accurately. Georgia Secretary of State Gabriel Sterling, who risked increasing violence over false claims of voter fraud in Georgia, will also testify. That will be followed in panel two by Shea. Wandrea Ershe Moss. She's a former Georgia election worker and was accused with her mom by name of carrying out a fake ballot scheme. She'll talk about how being targeted by name upended her life. According to House committee aides, the hearing will also continue to highlight heroes, many who are Republicans who didn't go along with the pressure campaign. Instead, they upheld their duty to the Constitution over any loyalty to any one person namely Donald Trump. The fifth hearing on Thursday is expected to focus on how Trump and his aides used the pressure campaign in the Department of Justice to stop the transfer of power. Linda Perry, WBAI News, New York. Thanks, Linda. Nielsen numbers tell us here at WBAI just how many people watch live coverage of the January 6th committee hearings. 20 million in the first night, 11 million the second, and nearly 9 million for the third. Yet those traditional yardsticks don't begin to account for the true impact of what's being said. Memorable moments from each hearing are sliced for quick consumption online and on television news and comedy shows, almost certainly reaching a larger audience and watch them originally. Again, you can hear Tuesdays, the hearing at 1 p.m. on WBAI, and Thursdays also on WBAI beginning at 3 p.m. And, of course, you are listening to the news on WBAI in New York, and I'm Paul DiRienzo.
And that's some of the news for Monday, June 20th, 2022. The news produced with Linda Perry, our engineers, Reggie Johnson from New York City. I'm Paul Durienzo. Thanks for listening. <laughs>